Our scripture for today comes from the New International Version and uh, is a selection of verses from the book of Proverbs, chapters 10, 12, 13, 15, 16, 17, 18, 25, 26, and 31. Before uh, we read these together, uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has many things to say to us about our words. We know that uh, controlling what we say is a challenge, for we all stumble, as the Apostle James says, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he or she says, he or she is a perfect, mature person, able to bridle, to control the whole body. Father, who is up to that task? None of us is on our own, and yet we know that your Holy Spirit can help us. We pray that you would help us to allow these words that we read together, we hear together, to sink into our hearts. Empower Pastor Jim to deliver a message for us through your spirit that helps us to become more perfect, more mature, and so together to reflect your glory to the world. Thank you for this opportunity in Christ's name. Amen. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silence and discerning if they hold their tongues. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. 
The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Like a coating of silver dross on earthenware, are fervent lips with an evil heart. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. The word of the Lord. So we're spending the five uh, weeks of the summer uh, during this time studying the book of Proverbs and learning about wisdom. And we've been saying that wisdom is not just following rules for life, nor is it following our heart, that true wisdom is a humble confidence that comes from a relationship of trust with God that then flows into every area of our lives. When you're wise, you're able to listen to others, to parents, to tradition, to the Bible, but you're also able to take personal risks to respond wisely to your unique circumstances. And so today and and for the next two weeks, we're going to consider what wisdom looks like in some different areas of life, how we use our words, how we make decisions, how we use our money. And today we're considering words. So three points for today. Why words matter, what words reveal, and how words heal. Why words matter, what words reveal, and how words heal. Heal. First, why do words matter? Well, words matter because they're powerful for good and for ill. Proverbs gives us a striking image for this truth. We just heard the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. The tongue has the power of life and death. Words go to the core of a person. That's what it means for a gracious word to be healing to the bones. The Bible calls this core, this this inner person, the heart. Now, we heard it mentioned several times in our reading in 1223. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. 16.23, the hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. 
And some of you here may have a translation that uses mind instead of heart to translate the Hebrew word here, lave. It can mean mind, but it also means much more. It's the heart, the, the mind, the soul of a person, the, the center of their emotional, their intellectual, religious, moral life. Everything meets in the heart. And words go straight to it. The words of the mouth are deep waters, Proverbs 18.4 says. <clears throat> because words touch something so deep in us, they have a powerful impact both on other people and on ourselves. Let's think about other people first. Now, here's a false proverb for you. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. In contrast, Proverbs 15.4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Words do hurt, and their, their impact can be far more lasting than a broken bone. When I was in fourth grade, we had a required music class with a choir that was rehearsing for a school performance. One day as we were all singing in front of the teacher, the teacher pointed to me and said, Jim, why don't you just mouth the words? If you ever wonder why you don't see me singing very much, now you know. The impact of our words on others is, is powerful. We, we know this. We know this. Something we don't think about as much is the way our, our words affect ourselves, our own hearts. But this is what Proverbs 18.21 says. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You will eat the fruit of your words. How you speak impacts others, but it also shapes your own heart. If you make a habit of lying, gossiping, bragging, those ways of talking become instinctive and, and automatic until you don't even notice it anymore. And the opposite is the case if you speak with kindness, gentleness, and care. C.S. Lewis captured the significance of this truth so well in The Great Divorce. Uh, the story is really a parable about a group of people in hell who get on a tour bus to heaven. And these ghosts encounter uh, various people who the citizens of heaven uh, try to convince to stay, but for various reasons, many of them uh, won't go in. And one of the people that the, the main encounter encounters, uh, the main character encounters with his guide is a complaining and grumbling old woman. And she won't stop talking. She goes on and on and on about how she's been mistreated, how everyone else is better off, what she's entitled to. And her, her grumbling keeps her from heaven. And, and this confuses the man who's watching with his teacher. And, and here's what Lewis writes. The shrill, monotonous whine died away as the speaker moved out of hearing. What troubles ye, son? asked my teacher. I'm troubled, sir, said I, because that unhappy creature doesn't seem to me to be the sort of soul that ought to be even in danger of damnation. She isn't wicked. She's only a silly, garrulous old woman who has got into a habit of grumbling. That is what she once was. That is maybe what she still is. 
If so, she certainly will be cured. But the whole question is whether she is now a grumbler. I should have thought there was no doubt about that. Aye, but you misunderstand me. The question is whether she is a grumbler or only a grumble. And then he goes on to say, Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, and yourself still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood, nor even to enjoy it, but just a grumble itself going on forever like a machine. Words matter because they reveal our hearts. The kind of person we are, we are or, or that we're becoming. So let's talk more about this, about what words reveal. First, they, they not only reveal, but they, they also conceal. The revealing and the concealing are often mixed together. This is a hallmark of the fool in Proverbs. Uh, chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Or 26, 23. Like a coating of silver dross, a kind of pottery glaze, on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. This is about more than just smiling at someone while stabbing them in the back. Proverbs here is actually making a very subtle psychological point. The sins of the mouth whether that's gossip or lying or slander or bragging, all these surface sins reflect something going on deeper in our hearts. So, for example, Proverbs says that our use of words should be timely. 15.23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. What is going on when our words are not timely? On the one hand, we might put off a hard conversation with someone uh, because we're afraid of them or what might result uh, from that conversation. What's really driving us is our fear, and so we hesitate. On the other hand, we might rush in to speak too quickly because we're impatient and prideful. Our surface folly arises out of a deeper heart attitude. Or take gossip. What is gossip? I once heard gossip defined as confessing someone else's sins. I like that definition. It's when you talk about someone behind their back, but it's also more than just talking. It's not just about uh, someone sharing inappropriately. It's also about our eagerness to receive. Twice in our reading, we heard the proverb, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, if we ever know the feeling of being rather pleased when we hear something unpleasant about another, that is the spirit of gossip. So what, what is going on with gossip? What is being concealed when we're pleased to hear something unpleasant about someone else and, and then go on to share it. 
Well, you could, you could want the approval of the person to whom you're talking and, and sharing your insider knowledge as a way of getting it. You could be using gossip to manipulate or control others. It could make you feel important to cut someone else down. You might be masking your own insecurity or attacking someone because they're experiencing a success that you have not had. You might talk about people to show that you know more than others or to get recognition for yourself. You see, these are all desires of the heart for approval, for control, for success, security, knowledge, respect. When you gossip, you're hungry for these things and you're feeding on the gossip to fill your emptiness. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Unless you deal with the heart underneath your gossip, your envy, your anger, your grumbling, your self-pity, you haven't gone down deep enough. In fact, you could repent of your mouth sins over and over and over again and never really experience change because you haven't dealt with your heart. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Your words reveal your heart. So, so we've talked about why words matter and, and what words reveal and, and conceal. Finally, let's talk about how words can heal. We've seen that it's not enough to just tell ourselves, don't gossip. That doesn't deal with the root of our problem. It, it it also doesn't make sense to go the other way and just give ourselves permission to say whatever we want. We know how destructive words can be. So, so what then? What should we do? Our hearts need healing. The good news is that Jesus came to deal not just with our surface sins, but with our hearts. On the cross, he died not just for outward and obvious wrongs, He died for our destructive inner attitudes, our judgmental attitudes, our critical spirits, our our condemnation of others. The gospel is a word of healing, forgiveness, and new life for those who have seen inside their own hearts. How? Well, first, the gospel takes away your pride and your fear so you can face hard truths about yourself. When you believe that you're truly forgiven, you can look into your heart and you can see what's truly there. All your insecurities, your lusts, your fears. You can do this because your pride is taken away so you don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to cover up. You can admit you're a mess. This is what Jesus was getting at in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee clings to his false righteousness, which leads him only to boasting and to pride. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector's words are few. When you believe the gospel, you can admit your need and you can rest in in God's mercy. So, 
The gospel takes away your pride and your fear so you can see what's really there and make an open and an honest confession. But second, the, the gospel also meets the, the deepest longings of our hearts. We said earlier that, our, that the, the sins of our mouths find their source in our heart's desire for security or, or success or approval or control. In Christ, God shows us that he wants to be these things for us. To be our security, to be our success, to be to, to, to give the, the approval that we long for, to, to, to remind us that he is in control. As Augustine prayed, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. If you know that you're accepted unconditionally in Christ, then you can begin to use your words with wisdom because they are no, they're no longer a tool just for attacking others or for defending yourself. They become a means of blessing, to bless God and others. Specifically, you can do two things with your words. First, you can hold them back. You can be silent. Silent is, is one of the central characteristics of the wise in Proverbs. Chapter 10, verse 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The wise person is not driven by pride to parade what they know before others. They have the self-control to offer their knowledge at the right time and in the right place. Second, the wise person is not only silent, but they can speak up when it's necessary, especially on behalf of the poor and, and the oppressed. Proverbs 31, verse 8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. If you know that you're saved by grace, you'll speak up for the voiceless and the powerless because you know that you too have received an undeserved gift. What's more, you won't be afraid to speak up even when it's unpopular because you don't find your self-worth in what other people think about you. Let me end with a story about the power of a word. Some of you will be familiar with a, a young woman who loved language named Anne of Green Gables. Anne is a young orphan girl adopted by an aging brother and sister on, on Prince Edward Island, Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert. And the story was recently remade into a Netflix drama. And in the second episode of the series, Marilla falsely accuses Anne of stealing a necklace from her. And despite Matthew's protest, they send her back to the orphanage. After she leaves, Marilla finds the necklace and she's filled with shame and she sends Matthew chasing after Anne it takes several days, but he finally catches up with her and he assures her that they made a horrible mistake and they want her to stay and, and they return home. But the most moving scene comes at the end of the episode where Marilla and Matthew uh, announce to Anne that they've decided to make their adoption uh, official by having Anne sign their family Bible and, and take their last name, Cuthbert. And as they stand in front of the Bible, Anne speaks with Marilla and says, you want me to be a Cuthbert, a real Cuthbert? I'm going to belong? Marilla answers, we, we hope you like the sound of Anne Shirley Cuthbert. I do, I do very much, but I just sign? That's it? Of course, what's the matter? 
Well, it seems a little perfunctory, don't you think? Perfunctory? Well, well shouldn't, we be hold, shouldn't we hold hands over a running stream and pledge ourselves to each other as Cuthbert's forever? Or break our fingers and mingle our blood as a symbol of our lasting devotion? Surely there needs to be a ceremony of some kind in honor of such an auspicious moment. As someone who has never belonged to anyone before, I believe that this is a matter of, such, of, of much solemnity, don't you? And so Marilla is convinced to bring out some raspberry cordial and they have a toast. And afterward, Anne takes up the pen. I can't believe this is really happening. I don't think I've ever been so excited in my whole life. My hand is shaking. And she signs her name in the Bible. With this pen, I take you, Matthew, and Marilla Cuthbert to be my family forever, to call you mine and to be yours for always. Friends, in the gospel, God speaks a similar word to, to you and to me. It's a word of forgiveness, of, of acceptance, of welcome. He knows you more deeply than you know yourself. He sees your heart. And his response is never to back away, but to always move towards you in his love and his grace. This is what he was doing in Jesus. He came as the word made flesh to reveal his faithfulness. And it was not a perfunctory word for him. He was broken so that we might be welcomed. His blood was shed so that we might be made whole. And he says to you today, trust me. Trust me with whatever is going on in your life, with your relationships, with your work, with your future. Trust me. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that this invitation of Jesus to come to him with all our weariness and our burdens, uh, our folly, to receive from him uh, the rest that only he can provide, we thank you that that invitation is, is for us here this morning. Thank you that your wisdom comes to us, not just as principles or as rules for us to obey, but that wisdom is a person. That we see the face of wisdom in your son, Jesus, and that uh, he invites us into relationship, to walk with him, to listen to him, uh, to follow him, uh, to give ourselves uh, to him so that we might uh, be his ambassadors in this broken world. We thank you for the grace and the love that we know uh, through his work. And we pray that you would give us open ears and open hearts uh, to continue to receive all that he provides. We pray for this coming week that as we face decisions, as we talk uh, to those who are close to us, to those we work with, uh, we pray that you would uh, be at work in our speech and through our words uh, to make your love known to others. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.